by no one's demand but our own and from our home office here in beautiful, currently sunny, scenic, quarantined Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast powered by Tennessee Tickets, brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Buck Rising, happy to be back for another week of potting ahead, and we have a loaded one here for you today. We are going to start with Jonathan Hutton of the Midday 180 on 1045 The Zone and Steve Lehman. There's a lot of movement going on in professional sports, players for the Marlins, more of them, and, a co- and members of the coaching staff testing positive for COVID 19 in a way that caused their Monday night home opener to be canceled and the postponement of the Yankees-Phillies game because of their recent play against the Marlins, that being the Phillies, of course. What effect, though, the larger point, does that have on non-bubble sports, particularly the NFL? Hutton, Lehman, and I discussed that at great length, as well as The idea that some media members in the NFL seem to be rooting against a professional football season happening. The same in college football as well. Fear trafficking, fear porn amongst sports media. We had a good discussion on that. That will be ahead for you on the pod. Taylor Lewan on the latest Bussin' with the Boys podcast. A.J. Brown was he and Will Compton's guest. Taylor describes why he thinks AJ was a massive or not massive uh, is not a is not a uh, is not hyperbole that I should use given that that's not an exact quote. But Taylor Lewan considered AJ Brown to be quote an asshole his rookie year, and I think that's a good thing for the Titans in that locker room. We will get to that discussion, and you will hear a clip from that podcast later on in the show. That's not all, though. We got Mike Giardi of the NFL Network to talk about the league at large, one of their fine reporters on the television side, and for the audio-only podcast, a special carrot for those of you who listen the way that God intended this podcast, the podcast God's intended for this podcast to be listened to, an audio-only interview with Robbie Stanley of NHL.com about the hurdles that the Nashville Predators face now that they are up officially in Canada with play set to begin this coming Sunday, August the 2nd, against the Arizona Coyotes. A lot of conversations ahead and five good minutes on the deal made between the Seattle Seahawks and the New York Jets for Jamal Adams and a ridiculous ransom that was paid. First, let's get to Jonathan Hutton and Steve Lehman. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. We led with Mike Giardi, but here is the main event in front of you, Jonathan Hutton of 1045 The Zone, the Midday 180, 10 to 2 weekdays is where you can find my brother, Steve Lehman, News Channel 5, sports anchor, a repeat, oh, both repeat offenders to the pod. It's, it's uh, been a minute since you've been on, but I'm happy to have you both here talk about the return of football thank god boys we have something <laughs> it's yeah, been a year. year 
been a year since I've been on, Buck. I was over at your place a year ago, probably this week, and we were discussing Marcus Mariota and whether or not he was going to earn that new contract. Life comes at you fast. Yeah, it does. Layman, uh, you look like you've had a haircut recently. You look sharp. I uh, there's yep. it, uh, it. It appears television Steve Layman holds true even on a meager Zoom call. No, that's exactly right, Buck. I, I'm on about a two-month haircut schedule. I got the first haircut, I think, in Nashville after it was allowed back in May. And then I thought, all right, I'll go as long as humanly possible again. And I, I finally let in and went last Friday. So I'm back in the haircut cycle. Back in the haircut cycle, back in the swing of things, hopefully, when the Titans open training camp. As the people will be hearing this on Tuesday, July the 28th, we're going to talk about some NFL headlines. There has been breaking news in the MLB, and we'll discuss how that may affect football season and all sports not being played in a bubble. There is an A.J. Brown clip that, by the time you hear this podcast, will be circulating around the internet of one of his teammates calling him an asshole. Stay tuned. That's a tease. Uh, Much to discuss, but given everything that's going on, we may as well start off the top with Titans training camp. Boys, I don't know. You You all both obviously have your own platforms, and by the way, you can catch these guys together on News Channel 5 Sunday nights at 1020. I believe, is the time that it airs on a regular basis. Everything that we know about training camp, all of the headlines that we've seen come across our respective phones today, how are we feeling at this point about NFL training camps beginning Tuesday, July the 28th? Steve, jump in first. Well, I feel good about the fact that we're going to start tomorrow on (laughs) July 28th or whatever this is and we're going to get after it I feel less good about how they're going to manage this whole year and I think it's going to be really interesting to to jump off of football real quick just to see what happens with this whole Major League Baseball thing because I think that's what we're all waiting for for the sports that aren't going to have a bubble quote unquote you're going to have positive tests and you're probably going to have an outbreak on a team at some point and so how you manage that is the real question I feel good about a lot of the NFL plans that I've heard of and how they're going to try and manage this, but it's not going to be foolproof. And at some point, they're going to have to meet the stark reality of what happens when you have five or six guys test positive. And Jonathan, you brought it up last night. Not to just is it the the protocols of the logistics in camp and how they're doing the testing and things like that, but we've already seen the rosters are from 90 down to 80. We have no preseason games. They're not even going to really be able to practice for two, maybe even three weeks from now before they put pads on. This is going to look totally different than anything we've ever seen before. And I think the process of getting down to 55 guys and whatever the practice squad looks like is just going to be fascinating because there are going to be a lot of questions that we won't have answers to until all of a sudden we get an answer whenever that date is. Yeah, it's fascinating and maddening both at the same time, Buck, because like as I look forward to Titans training camp, like at this time last year, we were at camp, you know, and, and we, you could point to football being played and the anticipation, albeit an exhibition, the anticipation of preseason game number one. And now it's okay, football's back but it's not really back like we're, we're waiting until the 17th before they can even put a helmet on and we're waiting an- another a week after that before we actually see full pads 
we won't see football back until September. So it's, it's the hurry up and wait scenario that, and the syndrome that I'm suffering from right now because I've had August circled for the last five months. And now that it's here, I'm still feeling a little bit depressed and deprived of football because I'm still halfway on the fence of whether or not they actually pull this off by September 10th whenever we'll see Thursday Night Football, Houston and Kansas City because of what we're seeing in Major League Baseball. And, and the fact that all of these teams are going to be in the same locker room, it's going to be extremely difficult, even if you do everything right, it's going to be extremely difficult to pull it off where you don't have a, a, a handful of players with COVID-19 tests. I mean, the, the Minnesota Vikings doctor has it right now. So yeah. um, there, there are so many instances to point to and say, okay, this is a positive scenario. And I do think the NFL is going to play, but it is going to be unlike anything we've ever covered. And, and quite frankly, I have no idea what to expect. Uh, there will be jobs won based on another player contracting COVID-19 this, this coming month. There will be yep. a job lost because a player was, doesn't even have COVID-19, but was exposed to it and, and could have it. So they're going to hold him out, which means he lacks the reps necessary to get on tape because he's not going to play in a preseason game at all. And he's going to need every small rep he can to make a roster, especially as an undrafted. Uh, yeah, there are extra spots on a practice squad, two extra spots on the active roster. But still, it's, it's, it's going to be crazy. That's the best way I can describe it. We, we don't know what we're going to see. I just hope we see football in, the, in September. Well, and Hutton Loki just uh, unknowingly called me a fraud because I continue to traffic it. Oh, look, the quarterbacks and rookies are coming back. Football's back, baby. They're coming back for training camp. Football's back, baby. And then well, it I all feel the same way. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not trying to slight you there. It's just no, no. Like... no. I'm. I'm. Ma- I'm trying to make a joke because I'm doing the thing that I. I know Kaharski get bo- gets bothered by it, but he's an angry old man shouting at right. clouds at this point. But people, people are just looking for just looking for something that they can tangibly grasp that has has to do with some some normalcy of their sports life. And even as I'm trying to stay realistic about it, I'm just as guilty as anybody because any opportunity, any milestone that we make it specifically with football, we're seeing other sports come back baseball and uh, baseball's starting to get into the swing of things. Although some issues <laughs> with that, that we can bring up a little later on, we have basketball coming and uh, hockey, not far behind it, but every milestone that football makes seems to give us legitimate hope in a way that the other sports are just kind of like, ah, that's nice. It's good to see the Grizzlies back out on the court. I'd love to see how the Preds do against Arizona. But football is kind of the timeline that we all are trying to follow the closest. And I think, Steve, the other factor here is it's good football is on the horizon. This is not the 3-13 and team from Ken Wisenhunt's era returning. So we just, we're just happy to see football being played. This is a window of opportunity for this Titans roster to capitalize and, and take another step on what they built the foundation with last year, uh, which is very promising. You know, they have, their, they have their quarterback back under long term. The running back is returned. But now we sit around and we wait again, just hoping that we actually get to see the product. And we hope it's not an opportunity lost. In the Titans sense, I feel like it's a double-edged sword because you're right. This is a window of opportunity, it seems like, them for be really a contender in the AFC, if not for a Super Bowl coming off of what they did last year. And so on one hand, you kind of look at it and you think, gosh, I hope they play by any means necessary when they have that window of opportunity. And oh, by the way, and I know we've talked about this a lot, Hutton, is there any team maybe more suited other than 
the Kansas City Chiefs or, or maybe the Baltimore Ravens to hit the ground running, at least offensively, given the lack of preseason practice time this year than what the Titans are. So in some ways, you kind of want to see them out there regardless of what's going on. On the other hand, you think this season's going to be as wacky as any we've ever seen. That's unfortunate in this time when you think you've got a really good roster and you can make a good run. Because, I mean, think about it. What happens if in week three Ryan Tannehill tests positive and you lose him for three weeks? I mean, that could derail the season before it even gets off the ground in a year when you have such high expectations for this. So I'm with both of you guys. Each day that we have a positive, I kind of check it off and, and, and thank God that we're moving in the right direction to yeah. some degrees. But I'm also waiting sort of for the other shoe to drop at all times with bad news and preparing myself for that as well. Well, and I've heard you talk about this before on Midday Hutton, just when you come up with a solution to one of the problems that's being presented, well, there are three other issues that arise based on the solution that you found because everybody's just kind of feeling their way out with all of this. And now yeah. we've seen we've seen some we've seen consensus now from the NFL and the NFLPA to where the players are comfortable. Uh, 20 teams specifically, their protocols have been approved by the league, the Titans being one of the 20. We saw the Players Union put that out. But guys like Jason McCourty, who's got his own podcast with his brother Devin now, the Double Coverage podcast, came out last night, and he is expressing what a lot of players are feeling about the, uncomfor the, the uncomfortable feeling that you're getting the closer that this thing actually comes to fruition. My, my favorite basketball team, the Indiana Pacers, Oladipo wasn't going to play in the bubble then he got closer to it and found out there were financial implications obviously he was going to get three million dollars or something like that so he's like hey you know i'll go to the bubble what's the worst that could happen you'll see that you see this pressure mounting among players and i talked to some guys uh after after the the final round of players conversations players union conversations conference calls with players around the league took place, the consensus, or almost a consensus seems to be, well, if you don't want to show up and play football, you take the opt-out, you take your 300000 and we'll see you in 2021. I, based on what we know about this specific locker room, it's, it's hypotheticals at this point, but do you think there's a real scenario where we see a Titans player opt-out for 2020 because of their – because? There is legitimate risks to your health on top of the risks that football already poses. I don't see it with the, the star playmakers, honestly, based on what we've seen. I mean, in, in the comments made, uh, the way Derrick Henry's working out, he's not skipping the season. Um, Tannehill the same way. Um, you know, unless there, there's a player with a pre-existing condition, and I'll use this guy only as an example. I have no knowledge of anything, but – Dennis Kelly went through a health issue. It took months to figure out what was going on with him. Like, if I'm him, I'm concerned about that. So, like, I'm looking more into that than the Dennis, player. Dennis Kelly, by the way, Jonathan, sorry to interrupt, but Dennis yeah. Kelly, by the way, has a newborn at home that has some serious health complications. There you go. And so, I mean, that's the type of thing. And, again, we don't know anything about what Dennis Kelly's actually thinking right now. This isn't to suggest he's made that decision. But he is the type of guy – that that's could the be looking at this situation that says, look, this isn't just about my health, but it's about my family's health, and I don't know exactly what I'm walking into. So, uh, Buck, to answer your question, I, I don't 
foresee someone doing that from what the knowledge I have right now from talking to various people, but is it possible? I mean, we're talking about 80 guys who are supposedly walking into that building tomorrow and the unknown of this season. It's absolutely possible. Yeah, I mean, I the the example there's there have been players voicing their opinions on the matter, just kind of expressing it into the Twitterverse. You know, do I want to do this? Do I want to put my family at risk? And we'll see, we'll see more of that now that the date is finally upon us for the vast majority of teams. The thing that I look at though is is the bubble solution because you know anytime you bring up Dr. Anthony Fauci's name, people want to make it political. But from a pure sports fact uh, and, uh, and an opinion that Fauci voiced a couple months ago or a couple weeks ago at this point, the only way that he believed NFL football should be played is, is, is within a bubble. Now we see Major League Baseball, the report from Jeff Passan earlier today, eight more play in, players and two coaches with the Miami Marlins tested positive for COVID-19. An outbreak has spread throughout their clubhouse. Marlins home opener on Monday night, as you'll hear this on Tuesday morning, has been canceled. The Yankees and the Phillies have done the same because of concerns within the Phillies clubhouse. The bubble seems to be a solution that works. Football, obviously, the the ecosystem of football is almost too large to operate within a bubble situation. Do we find ourselves, as we sit here today, considering – well, if the NFL has to take a pause because an outbreak spreads through a locker room, will they be able to, if not seamlessly resume, resume in some form or fashion should the season be interrupted? That Surely the, the, the schedule makers have considered how far they could push this back. Uh, the Super Bowl can be held intact and they can move uh, some weeks back some uh, going into February. Keep the Super Bowl in February, I'm saying and still maneuver the season back if it has to go back some. But uh, there, the, the idea of a bubble for the National Football League is unrealistic. Like, they could do it if you're just going to start the postseason with some teams and run it back from last year. But I don't know how you pull it off with 32 teams and the personnel involved team to team, uh, let alone the travel, uh, the hotel. I, I use the UFC as examples on the Midday 180 because I'm the only one that follows it. But, you know, they've pulled off this fight island where they have roughly per week of those shows about 150 people uh, counting the fighters, uh, the coaches, and the people around them. Now, that's just for the one event. They pulled off three or four of these. But within the bubble itself, the UFC in Abu Dhabi had over 1,200 employees pulling off the bubble for the UFC for about 150 people to stay safe. Right. Now, multiply that for the NFL. And I can't imagine what the NHL is doing. We know the NBA is paying $1.5 million per, what, week to get this going. So, I mean, every league is different based on the structure. And the structure of football prevents them from pulling off what Anthony Fauci would like them to do. Yeah, it's difficult. And the other leagues that are doing it, the NBA and NHL, can do it because they're on a condensed schedule. Essentially, they're into the postseason at this point, I was a little surprised that baseball, as specifically the Players Association, didn't even entertain the option of going to like spring training sites or something and essentially giving themselves a bubble, considering how short their season is going to be now. And now they have to deal with the consequences of it. The one thing I'll have to say, and I feel like sometimes in the media we don't give them enough credit for this, is these leagues had to have talked all of this over 
I, yeah. I mean, the exact circumstance may have caught them by surprise or whatever, but they had to have some level of an idea of, all right, what happens if Team X has an outbreak? What do we do? And as Hutton said, NFL schedule flexibility, whether that's weeks that are all division games and so you can cut out other weeks and skip to those, there will be some of that. But I think the fascinating thing with baseball is with the Marlins now, I mean, is this as simple? Do they cancel one series and then bring up essentially a farm team to fill out the roster so they can continue this weekend? And then you try to make up those games at a later date. Do they basically disappear from the schedule for a week or 10 days and maybe have to forfeit those games? Because if that's the case, talk about an extra incentive for players to be even more mindful of what you're doing. If you know, hey, if we have an outbreak, all of a sudden that's a string of six or seven L's in a baseball season or back-to-back weeks of L's in the NFL. I mean, that, that wrecks your season right there. And so I do think the precedent that Major League Baseball sets right now is going to be interesting. It's going to be one that the NFL is watching. It's going to be one that colleges are watching. And frankly, the NBA and NHL, who are now looking ahead to what 2020, 2021 is going to look like, are going to be watching as well. Yeah, because you keep looking for lessons from all of these various leagues that are starting back up. And people, obviously, the EPL is a different situation entirely. But just trying to see what lessons can be applied to the sports leagues that come back in the aftermath of all of this. And there's just so many different options to consider. And don't bog down my my ability to rip Roger Goodell and Rob Manfred, Steve, with your logic and your reason about these guys <laughs> talking this through and having backup plans. No, this is not... This is not how we do sports talk. Uh, well, it's not radio, but you know what the hell. Uh, I, it, it makes too much sense, but that's not something that I'm willing to consider. Uh, oh, keep ripping. For the there, there are plenty of things to rip those guys for. Keep on ripping them. So here's, here's you open one door, and here's more questions. Here's an example of this. Let's, let's consider that what has happened in Major League Baseball has happened in week two of the regular season for the Titans, where let's blame the Jags. The Jags come to town, and they have roughly five players that have tested for COVID-19 after going to Nissan Stadium. Well, now you have the locker room attendants, the, the stadium attendants that have cleaned that locker room. They have been exposed to this. The, the Titans would certainly be put in some type of protocol by the league. That's then going to affect your week three opponents. Jacksonville hosts Miami and the Titans will be playing against the Vikings. So now you've inter- now you're now we're branching off here. Now you're yep. affecting two other teams plus the team that you just faced on the road and it's not that uh, unlikely of a of a scenario whenever I consider how bad these visiting locker rooms are. Oh god. Uh, they're they're <laughs> You know, the Titans are in good shape in week one because Denver has the best visiting locker room of any stadium in the league. But God forbid, you know, the Houston Texans end up uh, in Kansas City's locker room and are asked to social distance. It's just you won't be able to do it. Uh, So some of the protocols out there, Buck, are unrealistic. And if you just compare what Major League Baseball is having to thumb through right now and what the NFL must be thinking, okay, if this is a visiting team, if, the, if Jacksonville is what the Marlins are going through right now, if the Jags are on the road and this happens in Nashville in week two, what are the protocols for the home team? What are the protocols for that home team that now is preparing for week three who can't practice? And how does that affect the week three opponent that's going to host the Titans in Minnesota? All of these things have to be talked through. And, and it's, 
it's mind numbing at this point. Yeah, my, and, mind numbing doesn't even begin to describe it. And I don't yes. got four hours a day. <laughs> well, well and for that reason, too, guys, and, and look, football is a different sport than baseball is. But, Buck, you talk about trying to take lessons from everything we've seen. I don't know of an example yet in sports where someone was sick and participated in a game and got someone from the opposing team sick. Well, here's an example on Sunday where the Marlins decided to go ahead and play with yeah. guys infected yeah. and possibly other guys exposed against the Phillies. And now all the Phillies are quarantined and tested. The results of those tests are going to be telling. If all of a sudden, like, five guys on the Phillies are positive, now we know that, that this is a real issue for the spread of those sort of things. If it comes back that the Phillies are completely fine, despite having been on the field all weekend long with this team that has this outbreak, well, you take that and it means something a little bit different for you. Yeah, I mean, and, and all of this is without uh, consideration of things like, you know, Lou Williams going to get wings at Magic City in Atlanta uh, <laughs> right. for the rapper and being photographed after he has been released from the bubble uh, on the uh, NBA's allowance. Many, many things to consider. One more, one more uh, topic on this before we move on, because we got, we got to give the people a little bit of, of football, because God knows, I mean, it's Absolutely. just so unremittingly bleak, yeah. all of this. And I've, I've, I've come in here super positive. Hutton <laughs> just takes a shift to the side of me right after we said, this is what I get for being positive about anything in the time of the Rona. But Kyle Brandt kind of set the internet on fire today. What, well, NFL Network doing a great job setting the internet on fire. You got this bullshit top 100 players list. Yeah. Players who don't actually know the guys that they're playing against on a week-by-week exactly. -week basis voting on this. So you got that on one end. Then you got Kyle Brandt today. After the news of the Marlins game being canceled, the Yankees and Phillies being postponed, Kyle Brandt of Good Morning Football gets out there and says, quote, there's a segment of the NFL media that seems to be almost rooting for COVID to affect the season. They want it. They see the Marlins news and say, yep, lots of luck. Uh, lots of luck, football. These are people who make their livings off football. I don't get it. Do you know anybody? And may maybe I won't color y'all's opinion. What do you make of Kyle Brandt's tweet? I agree with him. Okay. Uh, Peter King's at the top of that list. You know, he, Peter King, he the travels. first one out there trying to get at Kyle Brandt. Um, and, you know, he – it's all doom and gloom on the return of football. Meanwhile, in all of these scenarios that the NFL media is throwing out there, Buck, we're seeing every other pro sports league pull this off. Now, they're using Major League Baseball as the example. I haven't seen where Major League Baseball has canceled their 60-game season based on the positive test with the Miami Marlins. They may say, screw you, Miami, <laughs> but they're not going to tell the Atlanta Braves they can't play tonight. So, you know, they're going to continue to play. Sports will go on, and we've, we've seen this uh, not just in the country, but across the, across the world we're seeing this, where teams are returning to play, leagues are returning to play, albeit without fans and with certain protocols in place. But if you're willing to spend the money and go through the testing protocols, uh, the athletes are in a better situation than you, I, or Steve. I've never been tested for COVID-19. Chances are, though, if I travel with the Tennessee Titans this year, I'll be tested multiple times per week. I'll know better than anyone in the, in the local media uh, whether or not I'm, I've been uh, exposed to COVID-19. So, I mean, I want to play. I want to watch this team play. 
And I, I do agree with Kyle Brandt that, at least on social media, the perception is that the NFL media, college football, let's throw them in there too, um, college football media, the growing sentiment is, oh, I, I really don't want to get out and cover this sport during the COVID-19 era. It's your job, bro. Like, that, that would be my response. Gear up and get ready for the season because the NFL is going to play. So – I kind of agree with Hutton, and I kind of disagree in, in a sense, too. Here's the thing. I don't think anyone's rooting for there to be no football or rooting for their job to lose its livelihood. I think that's the wrong way to phrase it. I, but I think what we're seeing is we're seeing guys who either, you know, predicted doom and gloom three months ago and want their prediction to come true, or maybe they hate the administration or their local government enough that they want them to fail at all costs, or honestly, maybe they're just not all that equipped to handle a major health crisis in America. They're football writers or they're sports writers, and they don't understand the data and the complete picture of the whole thing, and so they take the simplest way out. But the biggest thing I think I see is this is an ever-evolving situation where each day there's a new piece of data and there's a new piece of evidence to what we had yesterday and oftentimes things are different than what you thought a week ago I mean heck we brought up Dr. Fauci in the program he's changed his mind on different topics on a week to week and sometimes within the week week sure. basis and I mean he's the leading expert in the country so the idea that we think Peter Peter King or Dan Wolken or Dennis Dodds or any of these people who write on the national level somehow have this clairvoyance of what the coronavirus is and what it means to all these things, it gives them too much credit. And I think what we've seen is we're all too much alike in the sports media and we maybe don't have enough of a background. And so the questions we're asking are oftentimes limited. The narratives we go with are oftentimes limited. I mean, there was one week, I think this was 10 days ago, every single major college football writer I follow in the span of four days, wrote an article about how someone will die in college football this year. It wasn't like, how do they do this or what they're planning? They found the expert that could have the worst possible outcome imaginable. And that's the story they wrote. And maybe that speaks to the media too, that we love the sensationalized headline. But I think that's as much the problem as anybody is if you come with even the other side of it, like that it's even possible that we could play college football and that we need to consider the ways to get that done as safely as possible, but with the understanding you can't mitigate all risk, you're looked at like a pariah in this business. And I think that honestly rubs a lot of the fans the wrong way. And I think that's what Kyle Grant was speaking to. Yeah. And the, the same people that are complaining about, they're not complaining that are, uh, they're giving their opinion that uh, football shouldn't be played or the same people that were saying that the NFL draft shouldn't take place because it was insensitive of the, of the NFL uh, to do that during a time of a pandemic, or they shouldn't have free agency because we shouldn't see players sign for millions of dollars when people are losing their jobs. Uh, the NFL draft and free agency was a godsend uh, because it was a distraction. And oh, that's yeah. what the NFL is. I mean, we're, we're not covering the front lines here. You're covering a sport. Uh, and if you want to cover it from a from afar, you're allowed to do that. Like take your take out the flag, throw it, and and do it from from the comfort of your own couch. Uh, you can yeah. do that just as easily without quickly they're gonna kick you out of these press boxes post game. From from that perspective, for both of you guys, real quick too, if it's the football season 
and, and we don't know what's going to happen. But if you knew right now that they're going to play, but the season is going to have an interruption and it's going to end up being 12 weeks or, you know, you might have a team that has to forfeit three weeks or what, you know, so it's an imperfect season and there may have to be an asterisk, but there is a season and it starts on September 10th and it ends with the Super Bowl sometime in February. Are you guys like me? Uh, you sign up for that season? Yes. Yeah, Todd. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> okay. Like, I, like I, my, my whole thing, my whole thing with all of it is my, you know, this is, this is what I do for a living. I'm sure the both of you feel the exact same way. And admittedly, like when the NFL was going through all of the stuff, ramping up to the NFL draft, like I'm looking at this cockeyed and thinking, dude, is this really what we need to be doing right now? Like, and I was wrong, flat out wrong dead wrong it was it was the oasis in the sahara desert my god was i happy to see the virtual nfl draft i hate the draft i think the draft the draft drives me insane the draft is an absolute absolute it's a beauty pageant mixed with a <laughs> livestock show like it drives me absolutely batshit but when when we got it my god was it just something something to take your minds and people's minds off it was the fun thing. it was just a yeah. fun event Fun, finally. Thank God for fun. And we're right. And I, I, this is the 10 minute warning. And I don't want to, I don't want to put a bow on this conversation because there's so much that we haven't talked about here today. But the long story short of it, hell yes, sign me the hell up for that. I, as long as I'm being safe, as long as I'm taking the proper precautions with the people that I care about for my personal decision based on my, you know, what I understand my small bubble to be. I'm good with it. Let's go. Let's go cover football. Let's go do the thing that I'm paid to do. You know. That's, Agreed. You know. Yeah, 100% agree. Anyway, AJ Brown is on the Bustin' with the Boys podcast. I wish that we there was a more a more uh, smooth segue into this, but at this point, I just want to get your guys' opinions on it because Taylor Lewan quote called him the most asshole rookie that he's ever met. You guys struggled in the first half of the year. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't help us at all by being suspended for four games. That it was not. And uh, getting a bunch of penalties. And, and, and a yeah. bunch of penalties. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, oh all right. <laughs> hey, go ahead. hey, tell him. Hey, Fire him up, yeah. AJ. I'll tell you what. I, during. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Alex, does he sound all right? Yeah, you can pull that mic a little closer though. Uh, cool. During during the season, I will say that, um, like AJ as as a rookie was one of the more. Um, asshole rookies I've ever met, but I mean that as a compliment because I didn't know the right words to say. AJ will call anybody out whenever. I remember we were going, it was like we were in camp and AJ, I was, I put some music on and AJ's walking out. You have to walk past the O-line to go to practice. And AJ looked over and yeah, we had some like, room. we had some uh, like, some not like some you know girl music playing or whatever like do, 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 <laughs> and I miss you, something like that playing as a joke. And AJ, rookie, Hasn't played a game yet. And he goes, hey, that's why our offensive linemen suck and walk out the door. And it was kind of like, hey, <laughs> so it was like, oh. Right there. Uh, and that Bustin' with the Boys podcast available on Monday evening. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you get your podcast. A.J. Brown is asshole rookie. What he's citing is the fact that A.J. Brown would get in him every time he got one of these penalties after a four-game suspension. And the way that people are, are – kind of quick to forget based on how the season ended the season started as a complete and utter train wreck taylor lawan once he came back was not helping them as much as he was hurting them on a regular basis and sometimes you need somebody to alpha the alpha 
That's not something that the Titans have had. And you need more of these guys. Kaharski's written about this. I know you guys have talked about it on Midday a million times. I know we've talked about it collectively, whether we're on a microphone or off it. To have, whether he's an asshole, whether he's a dog, whatever you want to call him, to have this presence in the locker room, what does that signify to you guys about A.J. Brown that he's getting that same recognition from the players? He's a leader. I mean, that's – and it's – to me, Buck, the key here is it's coming from the wide receiver position um, because we saw it from Delaney Walker for years at tight end. We, we have seen the, the asshole mentality from DeMarco Murray in the past, albeit maybe not publicly, but he, he, he was straight business in the locker room. And I think that rubbed off in, in good ways on, on certain players. But with A.J. Brown – the difference there is there's a swagger and a cockiness and a chip on the shoulder to call people out and be a leader no matter if you're a rookie, if you're a first-year player. No, it doesn't matter your status in the locker room. And I love that about him. There, there are certain aspects to players where you, you just know, okay, this is a guy you're not going to have to worry about. Week to week, uh, if he gets some accolades, if he gets a contract, it's not going to phase him. Brown's one of them uh, because of the attitude. He's got the right mix of swagger and that the alpha mentality that we want at the wide receiver position that is going to make him – he's already a fan favorite, but it's going to make him a household name uh, with everyone that's a Titans fan and beyond. I go back to something I saw with A.J. Brown in OTAs last year when after practice he was on the field working on releases with Corey Davis right after practice for, for minutes, maybe even an hour. I mean, it was, a, it was a real sense of work ethic. It was a sense that you're, you're a leader in our room, Corey, as the quote-unquote number one wide receiver at this point. I'm going to learn from you and I'm going to take it. But it also said to everybody else, I'm here to work and I'm here to be the guy too. And once he got in the season, he continued that work ethic. And I think he said multiple times, I still have a lot to learn. He even cited the end of last season where he fell off in the playoffs and said, I got a little worn down in a long season. And Coach Vrabel's got some things that I need to work on and get better at. So he's still shown that humble nature and the need to become an even better player. But at the same time, he's walked on the field, he's done the work, and he's performed. And as he started to do that last year, I think you saw that swagger from, from a great high school player to a great receiver at Ole Miss now to a guy in the NFL who thinks he can get the job done. And once you start to see that swagger, you love to see it come out verbally as well. And so I supported it, and I totally agree. To have more of those guys that will step up and get in the guy's face in the locker room or on the field on Sunday is huge. And there is no doubt in my mind that after he said that, as he going, he's going out to the practice field, he had a great practice. You know, you, you say something like that as a rookie, you better back it up on the practice field with production and with work ethic. And that's what he's done from day one. So he's already earning the stripes and earning the respect. And beyond that, he's a leader behind the scenes too. You got to love it. And I, what game was that where he went to the huddle and called out Lawan? I want to say Kansas, Kansas City? City in the regular season. Because yeah, and see, that's week a, 10. They were, they were like within, within the – they were in the red zone. I think yeah, penalty and they ended up going back. Uh, going back five and just – and apparently that's not the first time it's happened. That's just the first time that the television cameras focused right. in. On A.J. Brown, give him a hit. That rubs off. That mentality rubs off. Sometimes it can rub people the wrong way. But if it rubs you the wrong way, chances are you're not right for that locker room. And that is the mentality that Vrabel and Robinson want. That's the mentality they have personally. Yeah. 
it, it's it's a symbolic in some ways that A.J. Brown's the one doing it to Taylor Lewan offensively. I think it does speak to what the locker room is now, too, because there's no shot a rookie could have walked into this locker room five no. years ago and done that. It wouldn't exactly. have been received very well, and frankly, they weren't getting rookies who were talented enough and good enough to do that type Kevin of thing. Kevin Dodd, leader of men. No, come on, Lyman, let's go. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's just it's a totally different scenario for this team right now, and, and we talk about A.J. Brown. Fuck, you brought up the dumb NFL Network poll, but when I started seeing some of the names that come out, even some of the rookies like D.K. Metcalf <laughs> is on that list, I mean, how's A.J. Brown not there? Is Ryan Tannehill going to be on the list? I mean, those are the types of things. Some of the quarterbacks that are on there, given the season Tannehill had last year, and A.J. Brown compared to some of the rookies, even his old buddy at Ole Miss, the seasons they had, as far as I'm concerned, they deserve to be on that list right now. Yeah, this list, list season infuriates me for a variety, <laughs> Same, variety of reasons. But, well, that's because, it's because none of the three of us, and I'm not, you know, we, we can name names if we want, but uh, uh, list season is just a product of laziness. During a time when you're not creative zero enough. Prep. Zero, yeah, zero prep. Zero prep. Open up, open up the phones, do what you want, give me the list, let's go. That's the way that it works. But, uh, yeah, you know, I've been praying to the football gods for a, uh, for a diva wide receiver for a long time now just because I love the TMZ shit. But if they're going to give me an asshole wide receiver, I'll take that as well. Two guys who are not that are uh, Jonathan Hutton and Steve Lehman. Midday 180, 10-2 on 104.5 The Zone weekdays. You can check Hutton out there as well as Titans Radio once things begin to get back into normalcy. News Channel 5 sports coverage along with our buddy John Burton is where you can find Steve Lehman and the two of these guys together if you like what you hear. Here, you can go see them every Sunday night at 1020 on News Channel 5. Boys, I appreciate it. It's good to see you. Hopefully, we'll see each other in some form or fashion. I'm sure it's going to be virtually, but, you know, regardless, good to catch up. Thank you, Buck. Let's go Let's go grab a drink, grab dinner soon. God, let's, yeah. I'm down. I, I've been looking for somebody to drink with me during quarantine for a long time now. I'm ready to, <laughs> ready to get after it. My God. Do it. Nashville's a big city. We can social distance together, guys. Thank you. Not on a pedal tavern. <laughs> <laughs>of the NFL Network, kind enough to stop by. Looking sharp, brother. I appreciate you uh, taking some time. I, I like the I like the NFL 100 polos. I kind of wish I, I would have gotten one when it was uh, the actual 100th season. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're pretty nice. I, you know, they sent us the new stuff for training camp this year, but no. I'm going to hang on to this for a little bit longer, I think. <laughs> yes, training camp set to begin. Of course, you can catch Mike on the socials at Mike Giardi and wherever it is you get the NFL Network on your television, streaming services, what have you. Uh, We got a lot to talk about with Mike Titans opening training camp, many other teams opening training camp on July the 28th when you will hear this podcast. The top 100 players currently airing on the NFL Network Sunday through Wednesday has once again set the internet aflame. (laughs) We have much to discuss in terms of that. And people are pissed here, Mike, because A.J. Brown's not on the list. I'm not going to ask you to defend the list. I'm not going to ask you to to uh, defend or uh, or advocate for the list, but that's what has bothered Titans fans here in this latest iteration. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of AJ Brown. I think you know, obviously, you're looking at the potential for him to be a a number one receiver, an elite receiver for a long time. But look, it's voted on by the players. 
how much do the players actually watch the other guys? You study tape when you're playing the team, but you know, if you're on defense, you're not worried about the offensive lineman for, for the opposing team. You're not worried about whatever the defensive tackle on the other team. It's so it's, I think it's, it's a popularity contest. Let's, <laughs> let's be real. You know, I, I don't really know how you can really do it uh, justice if you're having the players do it when we know they're not watching everybody. Well, that's like we, you know, and, and people don't care when you explain to them. Well, we asked Jarrell Casey about this last year. He doesn't even know the names of the offensive line uh, linemen that he's right. playing. He just knows center, tackle, guard, whatever the case may be. But they, you know, they don't care. They want a reason to get upset. And it's great for conversation. Sure. How do you, this, this happens every year, though. How do you personally consume the list? Do you view it through that prism? Do you kind of just take it with a grain of salt, like you mentioned? Is, a, is there, is there, does it still get you upset uh, when you see a player higher or lower than he should be? Well, I mean, I'll just go like I was looking at the list that they released last night, and I see Allen Robinson is way down the list, and I'm, he's, he's, he's not 94 or whatever it is. But again, it's such a subjective list. And, and to me, if I was actually putting the list together myself, I would have a hard time just not putting quarterbacks one through 10. Right. Like, whether they're the most valuable, however you want to define it, the best player. Look, I'm looking at it like that's the most valuable position. That's the most important position. So, therefore, that's where I'm putting all my guys. So, people probably wouldn't like my, wouldn't like my list either. No, nobody likes anybody's list. It's the whole <laughs> – I mean, it's <laughs> – and, and, and thank God because it gets us through July and sports talk. Yep. And my industry desperately needs that, especially right now. Big list season guy in mid-July. <laughs> uh, the NFL Networks, by the way, top 100 players of 2020 airs Sunday through Wednesday at 7 p.m. Central Time on NFL Network. You can catch up with it there. Uh, so, Titans training camp, you have spent some time around these guys at this point. Obviously, a great deal of time around them during their postseason run. You're on a lot of these Zoom calls, so I thought it'd be good to have you kind of get your perspective mm -hmm. before they get things underway. The, the Titans under Vrabel, specifically, because you also spend a tremendous time uh, amount of time around the Patriots, where you'll be reporting from later today on NFL Network. The Titans under Vrabel, how, what is the biggest observations that you have that differ from years past with this organization? Well, I mean, I, I think based on the run last year, there's an elevated expectation and an elevated confidence that, you know, now we're one of the premier teams in the league. And, hey, they gave Kansas City a run, at least in the first half of the AFC title game. And everybody's talking about Kansas City, mostly the Chiefs players, about winning five, six, seven straight Super Bowls. Um, the Titans can go into this and say, look, we were playing our best football at the right time, and we pushed that team at Arrowhead pretty far. So I, I think they come into this now with expectations change, and I think maybe the, there's a bit of more of a spotlight and a bullseye on them too. It's not You're not like, oh, well, they're sort of an 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven team. I think people are expecting this team to be a – a 12-win team to be in the conversation for a number one seed and those sorts of things. And I think, honestly, anything less than that, based on the way they've gone about this offseason, um, is a disappointment. I think Mike Vrabel and, and John Robinson, I know they want to live in the now, but I, I think if you talk big picture with them, they'd probably agree to that. Oh, sure. They're trying to and, – and I think, you know, behind, whether, whether it's, it's never going to be public acknowledgement because that's not how football people work. God forbid that they have any kind of expectations associated <laughs> with them. That and the dreaded distraction. It's like poison uh, to them in football organizations. But I think they recognize Amy Adams Strunk from the top on down, from John Robinson to Mike Frabel and through that organization, that they have a, they have a window 
here. We thought the window was going to be associated with Marcus Mariota's rookie deal. Turns out not the case, and it still ended up working in their favor, where in a year when everybody needs consistency more than anything, they are trying to maintain the bulk of their offensive parts so that they can try and make at least another two or three runs at this thing based on the contracts of Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. A lot of times, Mike, when you're on these Titan Zoom availabilities, the questions, uh, obviously the Titans kind of flirting with Tom Brady in the offseason. Mm-hmm. There will always be a Patriots connection with them down here, given John Robinson and Mike Vrabel and some of the play- – I mean, a good deal of the players that John right. ended up bringing in throughout the course of his tenure through five years. What Anytime people look for legitimate connections between the Titans and the Pats, things that have actually translated – from one organization to another. are there is there any one thing that stands out to you or people just kind of doing the lazy thing, which is, you know, these guys came from the Pats, it's Patriots Southeast, this is the Patriots way? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's funny because I was on a Zoom call, uh, or rather a podcast last night with uh, Jason and Devin McCourty, and they were, oh. asked about the, they were asked about the Patriot way. And Jason, who of course has been to a few places, including Tennessee, was like, the Patriot way is just do your job. Right. He's like, and he's like, I can't say that maybe that was the case in Cleveland when he was there for one year in Cleveland and they didn't win a game. He said, but that's generally what you're expected to do no matter what the organization. And I think to me, one of the things I think that maybe overlaps is sort of setting that message of simplicity. Like, look, man, don't, don't do this. Don't worry about that. Just do this thing right here. I tell you to do this, do this. If you do this and the guy next to you does what he's supposed to do and so on and so forth, then we have a productive play and that's all we're trying to do one play upon the next. And I think that's sort of, to me, if just being around those guys and hearing them talk a little bit in Tennessee, that there is sort of that similar attitude. Now, look, I'm not on all 32 zooms, so I don't know if that's what it is across the board, but I think there is that, that message. And I think sometimes for whatever reason that gets lost in other places. And I don't think it's getting lost here. Um, And look, Mike, I think Mike learned, from Bill in the sense that obviously he came from Pittsburgh, hadn't really played much in Pittsburgh and Bill moved him around and used him as a chess piece and found the things that he was good at. And they really highlighted those things. And I think Vrabel as a coach is trying to do that same thing. I think so often guys are like, this is my system. You're going to fit into my system. And I think Mike, much like Bill is like, well, no, this guy, he's really good, but he does this thing that's outside the system. So let's, Let's move this a little bit. Let's, let's adjust to him and to his skill set because he's important to us. I think that's sort of the way he does it. I think, that makes, I think it makes a lot of sense. I can't stand teams that force feed players into systems and say he's going to bend for our system. The players are what makes it go. So if the guy can do something at an elite level or a high level, figure out a way to get him to be able to do that as much as possible inside the system or tweak the system to make it happen. Right. It's what my, I mean, you, you mentioned coaches who try to fit guys into their system. And I mean, that's what they had here before. And Mike Malarkey, it's a very nice man. That's the style of coach right. that he was, as was Terry Robisky, his offensive coordinator. And everybody freaked the hell out when exotic smash mouth <laughs> didn't last more than a year. These things happen. It's yeah. uh, it's, it's something that we have, uh, we have sussed out over, over time and seeing how the evolution of coaching has kind of had to adapt with the players. It's uh, it's a more, It's a more symbiotic relationship than I think people on the outside recognize. When you look look at Mike 
and what you're talking about in terms of do your job. And by the way, excellent work by you. NFL Network, do your job. That's a special that's out there. A, a, a subtle plug by Mike Giardi, the <laughs> NFL Network product. Excellent, excellent work. Not, not quite as good as when Tiffany Blackman comes on this podcast well, I mean, and logs down the proceedings uh, when she, your former colleague. Tiffany's but, next level, though. I mean, let's, let's be real. I'm just, just trying to walk in her shoes. No, good luck. <laughs> but uh, Vrabel, Vrabel while, while he does emphasize the do your job thing, there's, I mean, you could, you could play a drinking game that would incapacitate every man, <laughs> woman, and child out there off the amount of times that John Robinson and Mike Vrabel mention versatility. Versatility with an NFL roster where they're trying to get as much as humanly possible out of the 46 active guys on game day in the 53-man roster throughout the course of the regular season. The evolution of coaches in that way, Mike seems to really, really hammer home this kind of fluidity. While there is the do-your-job mentality in certain aspects of things, they evolve so much with what they do, and part of that's because Dean Pease, former defensive coordinator here, wanted to make sure that they had a bunch of different looks and could adapt to any situation, as good coaches do. But Mike, more than anybody, seems to hammer that home, or at least as you're saying, I mean, you know, we're not on all 32 Zoom calls, so we could be, I, I think, would we, shocked is not the word, I think, wildly disappointed by the amount of consistency from messaging from football teams when it comes to versatility. I just think they seem to have something figured out here that's proven to be successful and proven to be at least somewhat unique. And I think that goes again to Mike's playing days in New England when you had movable chess pieces like him. You could, you could stand him up. You could put him over the center, inside linebacker. You could line him up with his hand in the dirt as a defensive end. Willie McGinnis was the same type of player, up, down, over. Um, they've taken smaller guys who play end and put them directly on the nose. And I think, in fact, I'm, I'm quite certain at some point Vrabel was over the nose, even if it was just for a few plays. But that's just sort of the look and the scheme that they're going for. And again, it's the ability to move guys around like that is confusing for a defense. You say, well, we, we know that they like to bring – well, no, that pressure changes. It's over here now. No, now it's over here. Or, wait, they have McGinnis and Vrabel lined up next to each other. They don't, they don't normally do that. And, again, it sort of challenges the quarterback, challenges the offensive coordinator on the other side to sort of identify it. And, you know, even if they identify it the second time, if they don't the first, then you got a positive play, maybe a sack, a turnover, whatever those types of things are. I think, I think that's important. I think that's – I don't know if Mike learned that directly from Bill, but I would say he had to have taken that into account when he was in New England and they're winning Super Bowls and they were a handful to deal with defensively in particular because they had guys that could move around and, and play different spots. And, and certainly, you know, you didn't have to hide people in that defense. You could move them around and you could get something out of them wherever you put them. It sounds very much like what they would want to do in a perfect world should they land Jadavion Clowney when Mike Vrabel was his Bingo. defensive coordinator. But we will we will see how that bears out as Clowney Watch Day 178 <laughs> continues here in Nashville, Tennessee. Just a plague upon my existence, Mike. It never ends. No, I well, it's funny. Every time somebody talks, anytime there's a Zoom call in Tennessee or what, it's, it comes oh. up. It's every every week. Uh, Titans may have or may have not talked to Clowney, you know, this week. It's just, yeah. Yeah, but are they trolling us because, like, they acknowledge, yeah, we had, we had talks with Clowney sure. the other day. We had talks with his representation. These things are kind of in a holding pattern. Mike Brabel goes on a podcast. He says, yeah, he definitely probably do really well for us. They, they, do, <laughs> they do this. It's like when Mike FaceTimed Tom Brady and Julian Edelman. Sure. 
at a basketball game. Like, I think they're just double middle fingers to us all at this point. Well, I think in Vrabel, you have one of the great characters in all of football who appreciates that and, and, and loves to uh, grind you guys on a daily basis. I mean, there's always, <laughs> But, I mean, there's always a shot. You can't go uh, through one of those things without him at least loving one shot at one of you guys, me, you, uh, Kaharski, whoever it wants to be, there's always, there's always one. Yeah, but Kaharski deserves it. Like, well. <laughs> I think, I think in, by consensus, we, I, I love Paul, but Kaharski deserves it. Uh, I, and actually, I think probably if we, did, if we added up the total, it's usually Kaharski by a landslide in terms of who gets the bomb first. No question. No question. So I'm writing a piece for our website here locally that the people will have heard or have read by the time this podcast airs. A.J. Brown went on Taylor Lewan's podcast, Bussin' with the Boys, that they do through Barstool Sports. Everybody's excited. Everybody loves to hear from A.J. He's the big ticket item in town, not named Derrick Henry. And this is a quote that I'm writing the article uh, off of, Mike. Taylor Lewan believes A.J. Brown to be, quote, the most asshole rookie he's ever met, <laughs> end quote, and why that's a good thing for the Titans because they have not had uh, somebody with, uh, with an alpha personality in that room. The thing that gets circulated a lot around here is after Taylor Lewan missed four games with the PED suspension, almost led the team in penalties – in his first few games back in a way that was sandbagging them further, A.J. Brown was in his grill in a way that nobody gets in Taylor Lewan's grill like that on that team or prior to that had never really that, – that had not really surfaced. They, they go on to talk about, you know, A.J. just kind of bucking people as a rookie to try and get them back on track when they started two and four and how they kind of feed off that energy – that he provides. When we see guys like on the internet today, Mike Evans and Keenan Allen are feuding. I'm sure Tyreek Hill will get involved and the other guys who are added in Keenan, Keenan Allen's tweet because it's July and everybody's bored waiting for training camp. Should A.J. Brown, should A.J. Brown be considered in a conversation with those top-tier receivers or do we still need to see more from your perspective for there to be – justified hype yeah I mean I think you see need to see more because the, the resume is just too short right I mean it, it's a nice start to his resume certainly and I think we can see the potential of what this player could very well be perhaps even as soon as this year but look some of those guys have done it for a little bit longer and, and Keenan Allen Mike Evans case they've been doing it for six seven years uh, I can't put him in that conversation yet but you know 85, 90 catches, 1,200, 1,400 yards, whatever the case may be, double-digit touchdowns, and then you start to have the conversation, you know, is he in that group? And I think, look, personally, I put him right on the outside of that group already because I, I, am, I, believe, in, I believe heavily in the talent that he brings to the table, and I do love the attitude that you're talking about. Um, you know, Ryan Tannehill definitely took ownership of the offense, but I don't know that Ryan is um, – an outward leader like that. So maybe you need other guys to step up and maybe he saw that, or maybe that's just his personality and it's the way he's been since high school and college, but whatever the case, um, clearly the guys in the room respect him. And that's the most important thing. You, d you don't want someone popping off telling other players what to do or get the crap together if they're not respected because they're going to get backhanded or they're just going to be like, you know, just get, just get away from me. I'm not listening to you. And now you have a problem already in your huddle. I think bottom line is, I don't know if Taylor necessarily appreciated it at all oh, times. Oh, God, no. No. No, but, right, what, did he make – was he right? Did he make a point? 
Yeah. yeah, and is this guy going out there himself and then backing it up with his play? Yeah, when he gets the opportunities, he is. So um, I think that gives him a little bit more leeway uh, to, to be able to be that kind of guy. And I'll be interested to see how that develops because you know as well as I do, uh, diva wide receivers, and I'm not calling him a diva yet, but th- th- oh. there is a tendency. There is, do it, I mean, do there it is Mike. That- <laughs> Set the internet on fire. Go <laughs> no, for it. There is that tendency for uh, – again, he doesn't have the resume just yet. Yeah. You know, we, we don't have enough things stacked up to say, yeah, I think he might be in that class. But, you know, those guys have a tendency to go in their own direction, and then it becomes you get this push and pull. We won the game, but I only touched the ball twice, and that can't happen, and this is BS, and if you're not going to use me, trade me, and all, and all that sort of nonsense. But well, that's way down the line. We'll see. Sure. I, people, people have just been so starved around here because they really haven't. And Corey Davis' book is still out, I guess, in some form or fashion. No fifth-year option. For him from the Tennessee Titans, she will likely be on another team next year based on what we know the salary cap is going to look like and all the other issues that COVID-19 presents to the league. But with with AJ, they really haven't had a dominant number one wide receiver since Derek Mason in Nashville, yeah, Tennessee. And people are people are so juiced about what he could be. We, you know, you try to temper expectations as as much as you can because obviously people are going to actually be paying attention to this guy in 2021 and in future seasons in a way that you know we really didn't know what AJ Brown could be uh in his rookie year I think it I think there is still a lot that we have to observe because you're you're probably going to see some kind of progression from the Titans offense in some form or fashion I mean 30 points a game when they put Tannehill under center it's just not sustainable and that's okay I think yeah, no, I would agree with you. And I'm, I'm, I'm very um, interested to see how the offense evolves in year two under Arthur Smith because obviously they did a terrific job. Play action was basically a cheat code for them. They, they killed teams on play action. Um, you know, can Ryan, someone who's been in the, the high 80s for much of his career, the quarterback rating, and then takes this massive jump, can he repeat or come something close to what he was last year? And I think that's probably – the biggest question I have about the Titans, you know, because you, you invested money in him. He's the long-term answer. You're not making him prove it again. Um, as some people thought, maybe franchise him and try to work out something long-term with Derek and make Ryan prove it again before you give him the long-term deal. No, he, he, got, he got the deal. He is the quarterback. Now can he maintain that level or something close to it? Um, because, look, it, it's pretty important. You're not, you're not winning – without a quarterback playing in that top 10 level. And he was a top 10 guy last year. He might have been a top five guy last year with the way he played. But now he's got he's to repeat it. And that'll be, uh, that'll be interesting to see whether he can do that in this offense. I maintain that nobody but Tennessee Titans fans – well, I'm sure there are teams that understand the depths that they were at. But, for, I mean, for the first four years that I was here covering them, Mike, I hated watching them. They were, they were so constipated as an offense. And quarterback play, it seems – just competent quarterback play. And obviously they were above average last year. Tannehill was one of the most efficient uh, players at the position in the sport once he was in the lineup. But, I mean, just just for how how far the drop-off is from a quarterback that you can rely upon to the other guys that are out there starting for some teams, it's a difficult situation to be sure. And one, the Titans fans are happy that they got rectified. One more for Mike Giardi of the NFL Network on his way out the door. I saw Jeff Passan's tweet this morning. You quote tweeted it. Eight more players and two coaches with the Miami Marlins have tested positive for COVID-19. There is a bit of an outbreak in their clubhouse and their Marlins, uh, the Marlins home opener has been suspended against the Baltimore 
Orioles tonight. I'm not going to ask you, does this make you scared for football? We're all, you know, I mean, it is what it is at this point. Like, we'll either have it or we don't. Can, though, Mike, from the way that we've seen baseball, the NHL shipping up to Canada yesterday, and the NBA getting ready to take place in the bubble, can football learn from any of these other leagues, or are all of the situations so different that there's there's just really no perfect solution that everybody can follow? Yeah, I mean, I, I would think, obviously, the NFL is more like Major League Baseball because unlike right. NHL and NBA, they're not in the bubble. And I, I'll go back again to, to Jason McCourty last night, finished the podcast, and he expressed great concern about what his fellow players were doing. He said, all I know is every time I open up Instagram or something on social media, I see guys out. I see them at dinner. I see them, uh, you know, I see them working out in one city on Monday, another city on Tuesday, and then another city on Wednesday. Yeah. Well, that means you're traveling, which means you're coming in contact with more people. And he said, it's almost like, come on guys, what are we doing here? This thing is for real and you're exposing yourself to more people, the more people you expose yourself to, obviously the greater chance you have of picking something up. And I think his, those two guys in particular, Devin and Jason have been, there has been a level of concern and a just, I don't know how this is gonna work, if it's gonna work at all, because you're asking not just the 53 to buy in, but now you're asking the expanded practice squad to buy in. Some of the coaches, there are younger coaches, there are also older coaches, but some of those guys, you got to buy in. You have to, we're, you're essentially putting yourself in your own bubble for the next whatever, four, six months, whatever it is. Can guys do that? And I, 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 don't, I don't think they can. So yeah. what, what, is, what, are, what do teams do? What does the league do when you have a similar outbreak to, to what's happening with the Marlins? Because let's face it, I'd be stunned if it doesn't happen. Uh, I'm right? going to... Yeah, without question. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm tw I just turned 27 last week, Mike, and I can't keep my friends off the, the, the party wagons, the party tractors in downtown Nashville. Yeah. We're no Maskville, according to TMZ, because people just, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tennessee, uh, much larger issues that will be saved for the, uh, <laughs> for the COVID podcast, whatever I get around to it. Mike Giardi of the NFL Network, kind enough to give us some of his time this morning. Catch him on television and on the socials at Mike Giardi. Buddy, I appreciate you stopping by. Continue to stay safe and stay well. And, uh, you know, I don't know I don't know if people are crossing paths over the course of football season yeah. this year, but uh, hopefully we'll catch up again sometime soon. I hope so, too. Be well. Back here, 615 Sessions Podcast, A to Z Sports. A to Z Sports Nashville.com. You have had Mike Giardi of the NFL Network. You have had Jonathan Hutton of 1045 The Zone and Steve Lehman of News Channel 5. But we finish with the cherry on top of this podcast Sunday. And that is my dear friend Robert Stanley of NHL.com. The Preds are on the horizon, and it means that Robbie is back in our lives, and I'm very excited about it. Hello, buddy. Hello, friend. How are we doing? Just spectacular. It is. Not it's it's a beautiful day because it is not oppressively hot outside. The podcast is almost concluded, well ahead of my normal procrastinating schedule, which is good. And also, there are sports on the horizon: Titans training camp for me, and Nashville Predators hockey for you. Are you excited to be back to work? I am pumped up. I really am. I I didn't know that I could miss something 
as much as I've missed sports, like I haven't watched any TV or really anything. I just basically watch like Netflix and Hulu and sports. So not having sports, I'm paying for cable like the last five months for zero reason whatsoever. So I'm glad to have that back. Well, and shocking to learn that somebody our age is paying for cable at yeah, this stage. News you, 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 and I, I think may be the only people that I know in the in there. I guess we're in our mid to late twenties. Uh, That's at correct. This point in our lives, but I think I, we're the only people I know in that age demographic that actually pay for a cable package. We may be the only two people in America in that age demographic that do that. So. As always, my friend, you and I continue to be trendsetters. That's why people love to listen to us. Correct. Just trending backwards in the wrong direction from everywhere else. But that's okay. That's okay. We survive and advance. The Predators will look to survive and advance. They have shipped off at this point for Canada in the bubble where they will face the Arizona Coyotes in this interesting and expanded NHL playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs. August 2nd, this coming Sunday, is when the Predators will take the ice for the first time since March 11th, for God's sakes. Robbie, when we look at this Preds team, the thing that I fear that they will carry over from the regular season, or the, the thing that I fear that they that could potentially detract from them that plagued them in the regular season over the postseason is just a general lack of of consistency. We know there are issues with goaltending, trying to figure out where Pecorine is at this stage. You see Soros, how consistent can he be on a night-by-night basis? Has he, to this point, earned the opportunity to start a postseason game over Pecorine? But consistency, on the whole, is what has bothered this team, and that is the thing that I think there's just no way to evaluate at this stage, whether they will have it or not after a four-month layoff. You're exactly right. And and more specifically, I think like consistency from their top four scorers. Like when you think of their top four scorers offensively, obviously, you know, Roman Yossi is there and and Ryan Ellis, but they're defensemen. I'm leaving them out of this discussion. I'm talking Ryan Johansson, Philip Forsberg, Matt Duchesne, Victor Arvidsson. There were times this year, Buck, where, where some of those guys were nowhere to be found. I mean, Philip Forsberg was okay. He wasn't really that far off the mark from what he's normally like. There are times Ryan Johansson was just missing in action. Matt Duchesne started really well in the first five or ten games, and then he fell off a cliff. Victor Arvidsson was hurt pretty much all year long, whether it was a back injury or a knee injury. He just didn't look like Victor Arvidsson. So those three guys, largely, Arvidsson, Duchesne, and Johansson, were non-factors, and that can't happen if this team is going to do any sort of damage. The good news for me, and Buck, you tell me if you feel the same way, it's hard for me to imagine – that they're going to come back and the three of those guys are going to be as bad as they were. I'm not saying they're all going to figure it out and be like game breakers at the same time, but I think it's, it's pretty hard for me to imagine they're all going to play as poorly and as inconsistently as they did in the regular season. I think Arvidsson is healthy now, so I think that'll help. Duchesne, I think, has been more comfortable uh, in his role on this team. And, and Johansson, whatever was going on with him mentally, I think he's going to have a chance to reset now. So maybe they do. Maybe they do come back and they're still as inconsistent as they were in the regular season. But to me, they just got too much talent to be as bad as they have been. And and I I tend to think that's going to correct to a certain degree as they get rolling here. Yeah, I mean, you're playing the odds at that point, right? That that all three of those guys cannot be 
as lackluster as they were the last time that we have seen them on the ice. And it's interesting, Robbie, because we, obviously the Stanley Cup playoffs will be unlike any other for a great variety of reasons. But I remember last time we had you on this podcast, it was right before they were getting ready to open their season. I asked you, is this team, this team is is a playoff team without question, correct? And your answer was yes at the time, because we're looking at body of work. We're looking at the talent that's available on the roster. We're looking at the fact that all of these guys have gotten paid, and whether you are somebody who questions their intensity on the other side of a contract signing, uh, I'm not. I'm not here to do that. I'm not here to tell how tell people how they should feel about that kind of situation because that is an accusation that gets lobbed fairly or unfairly at a lot of people after they sign contracts, like across professional sports. That's a conversation that's had. But I cannot imagine. Even even if Ryan Johansson, Johansson continues to be, I mean, I guess sluggish is probably the word that I would use. Matt Duchesne, year over year, has not lived up to his offensive expectations. I think he could certainly be better than the last time we saw him. And Victor Arvidsson is one of the most talented players on this roster that just wasn't right at the time of his return. And I think that for a lot of teams, having a layoff cannot cannot can affect your chemistry but a team with as many moving parts uh, maybe not moving parts because a, a lot of the core group from the Stanley Cup run a couple years ago is still there I just look at it and I say okay maybe it's okay maybe it's all right that they have had a little more time to reevaluate reassess not too far after the season and then come back and try to put it together conditioning aside yeah, and that's the other part of it is you've got a new coach in John Hines who came in you know, midway through the season, January 7th or whatever it was, and you're basically trying to catch a moving train at that point. I mean, you're, you're in a situation in the NHL when you get into January and February where your practice days are pretty few and far between. I mean, you've got them every now and then, but especially the Predators, I think they played the, the least amount of games in the first half of the season. So then they had to catch up in the back half of the season. So they were pretty much playing, I mean, every other night. So if you're John Hines, you don't really have time to practice. You certainly don't have a lot of time to install your system and really the way that you want to run things. You can tweak them. Like, you can do things here and there. But you can't ever really establish exactly what you want to do. That's what I'm interested to see about now as they're coming back with their exhibition game this week against Dallas and then on August 2nd when they play against Arizona. He's had a f- two, three weeks now to really install his system and to go over it to a point into a, a degree of detail that they can understand it and they know what they're doing out there and the way he wants them to play. So, number one, I'm interested to see how different that looks. And number two, I'm interested to see how quickly they can adjust rather than thinking out there about what they should be doing. They're just reacting and playing the way they should be playing at, at that top speed. So, that's also an interesting part to me in all this as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating for a variety of reasons, and least of which is this different format that we will see with the Stanley Cup qualifiers and the Stanley Cup playoffs. We know that there are uh, there is a modified competitive format with 24 teams as opposed to the 16 that we are accustomed to. I had Vingen walk me through this the other day explaining to me the round robin, the qualifying round, and then how that then advances 
to the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm sure it, he did that in great detail. Well, well. he I'm did sure. it in great detail at great length. The man is built for podcast and nothing less because <laughs> li- like many of us that speak in front of a microphone on a regular basis, and that now includes Robbie Stanley, by the way, 6 to 10 a.m. weekdays on 102.5 with our dear Lego-haired friend Joe Rexroad. Make sure That's right. you check him out. Vingen is a gas bag, and Vingen will always be a gas bag, and why Vingen is always <laughs> welcome on this podcast when I need somebody to have hockey conversation and explain literally every detail to me. Bless his heart, <laughs> as we say here in Nashville. But this this format creates a variety of questions for the team that are in, for the teams that are in the qualifiers, and that includes the Predators. Does this format make a an easier road or a more difficult road than would otherwise be the case for this particular Predators team to reach the Stanley Cup? I think the road itself is harder. I mean, just because if you're going to win the Cup this time around, you're going to have to win more games. I mean, you're, you're basically right now against Arizona, essentially playing for an opportunity to get in the actual playoffs, what would normally be a 16-team playoff. So, from that standpoint, I think it's harder. But then again, I look at the way the Predators were playing in the regular season. I think they would have made the playoffs. But to me, it really didn't matter who they played in the first round, whether it was St. Louis or Colorado or Dallas, whoever it was. I just didn't feel good about them winning. Like, I really didn't. And now with the pause and the reset and everybody kind of being in the same boat, I mean, you're basically starting from scratch in every single locker room in the league. Why can't the Predators be a dangerous team? We all know they have talent. We all know that they have players who have gotten the job done before. Maybe this reset is exactly what they needed. So I'm not going to sit here and say the Predators are like Stanley Cup favorites or anything like that, but I do feel better about them heading into a situation like this than I would have had the regular season remained uninterrupted and they just went into the playoffs. Because at that point, you know, they've been playing every other day. There was a consistent kind of flow to what they were doing, and nothing really seemed to be getting all that better. I mean, you'll hear, you'll have people tell you they were playing better before the break, and they won three games in a row, and certainly UC Soros was playing great. But you look at some of the, the advanced stats like we, we like to do in hockey so often, and it didn't really paint all that pretty of a picture for the Predators. So I think the road, just from a logical standpoint, in terms of the number of games you're going to have to play, is harder, which is why – when I hear people say that this won't be a legitimate Stanley Cup championship and there should be an asterisk by it, I just kind of shake my head because it's already what people call the hardest trophy in sports to win anyway, and now you're adding more games in the same time frame. Like It, it just makes it harder from a logical standpoint. But having said that, from a Predators standpoint, given the way they were playing beforehand, I like their odds much better right now after having reset than I did before had everything remained uninterrupted. So maybe we don't do the asterisks. Maybe we do the Stanley Cup, and this year it's the Stanley COVID Cup. I don't know how you adapt the trophy. I don't know if whether you make make a new trophy. I don't know whether it's a banner that somebody hangs from yeah. the rafters of an arena. But maybe maybe you just maybe just church it up a little bit. You don't gotta you don't gotta put a black mark next to their name. Just create a whole new thing and make everybody happy. Yeah, I mean this could be a once in a lifetime thing. You could be the only. Stanley Cup COVID champions. I mean, hopefully the only one. I was about not, say, I think, we're not doing this next year, for God's sake, buddy. I don't. I, I can't. I can't do. I can't do twenty more days of it, much less uh, no. a, a whole another a whole another year of the uh, of the Rona just wrecking 
our lives on a regular basis. What does not wreck my life on a regular basis, only when he wants to, is Robbie Stanley at NHL is where you throw my brother a follow on the socials. He is hosting morning radio here in Nashville on 1025, 6 to 10 a.m. with Joe Rexroad, so you can be sure to check him out there. He's the host of the Locked On Predators podcast. Rate, review, and subscribe. And he will be pumping out all sorts of goodness on the Preds for NHL.com. Also, founder of the Unshakable Foundation, and you can find the link to that in his Twitter bio. Buddy, it's good to talk with you, uh, whether that be talking shop or anything else. I am. I will. I will leave you with this and say that I am deeply offended that I have not yet received a Twitter shout-out, that random people on Titans Twitter are receiving ti- uh, Twitter <laughs> shout-outs before I am, and this is something that we will have to address in the therapy sh- session to be named later, but I still love you in the meantime. Don't worry, buddy. I, it's coming. I love you, too, and at least I'm not like Jim Wyatt, and I have been following you on Twitter for a substantial amount of time. I just, wait, what the hell is that? Like, I can't, I can't get over that. Like, no, that stuff doesn't bother me as I, as I beg you for a Twitter shout-out like some kind of desperate uh, internet dweller that I am. But, like, Jimmy Jimmy is the nicest man in the world, and just now, after five years of a relationship together, uh, have followed me on social media, and I'm, I'm still deeply hurt by it. It's been a week, didn't and I still love the way, like, Didn't you love the way he tried to play it off, too? I mean, it was an expert move by him. It really was. Oh, he's a troll. Like, Wyatt, <laughs> Wyatt at his core is a troll, but what's worse is he's a nice troll, so you can't always read him. Uh, you can't always you can't always assume that there is something ne- nefarious going on because he is, for the most part, a well-intentioned and professional individual, but in this regard, he's a liar and a fraud, and this is now an anti-Jim Wyatt podcast for the way that he slighted me. I'm here for it, man. I'm here for it. Let's make Jimmy a little bit uncomfortable. I'm all for it. <laughs> I don't think it's possible. Robbie Stanley. <laughs> of NHL.com. Thank you, bud. Love you, brother. Thank you. Time now for five good minutes on this Thursday, the thing that we do at the end of every pod. I've been trying to decide, by the way, whether I want five good minutes to be sports-related or not sports-related. I feel like there's a an interesting cross-section that could be had in terms of hot takery and my opinions on things outside of sports, but this is in nature a sports podcast, so perhaps you would prefer me stick to sports. No pun intended. Today, though, we are here to discuss the trade made between the Seattle Seahawks and the New York Jets over the weekend, sending Jet safety, former Jet safety, Jamal Adams to Seattle for what was an outrageous, frankly, amount, an outrageous ransom in terms of draft capital obtained by the New York Jets for a safety. Here is what the larger point is to be made on this transaction, and we'll give you the details as it was. He has been outspoken, he being Jamal Adams, about his contract situation with the team, about his feelings on now Jets general manager Joe Douglas, about Adam Gase who I think we all believe to be a laughing stock in NFL circles. And as NFL fans, whomever team it is that you root for. Our friend Mr. Lebowski of Broadway Sports thinks that he is a joke for a great many reasons. It has been well documented in The Athletic, in the New York Post, and really in that introductory press conference that Gase 
gave with the Jets where his eyes appeared to be rolling back in his head as some form of exorcism that we experienced at the Adam Gase opening press conference. Regardless, Adam Gase is much maligned, and Jamal Adams has not been shy about that. And let me say this on the front end, that nobody in their right mind would fault Jamal Adams for being disgruntled. Understanding that this is a multi-million, a multi-million dollar athlete paid a tremendous amount of money to play a child's game. This is so. Now, many of you may not consider football to be a child's game. A man's sport, more like it for the people that do play it, given the things that they are risking by playing football. But nobody could blame Jamal Adams for being pissed at the Jets. Like, honestly, the New York Jets, we've talked about it in five good minutes before, whether it's Woody Johnson being a racist, a sexist, allegedly, according to CNN, whether it's Adam Gase and his missteps, whatever that may be, the Jets have been perennially a laughingstock, and Jamal Adams got tired of it. So, when he goes through and orchestrates or help to helps to facilitate, obviously he's not the one orchestrating the trade, but one of the biggest trades in franchise history, the situation for Seattle is just as perplexing for me. Let me lay out exactly what it is that the Jets got in return for a veteran safety from Seattle several months after this acrimony, as ESPN puts it, culminated Saturday with the blockbuster as the Jets unloaded Adams for a package that includes 2021 and 2022 first-round picks and veteran safety Bradley McDougal. Now, there was obviously more draft capital exchanged. There was a fourth-round pick that went to the Jets included. But this is a situation that makes more sense from a business perspective for one side than the other. Jamal Adams gets what he wants. He gets out of New York. He goes to play for a contender. Nobody would argue that the Seattle Seahawks are not a great team and not a team that can, uh, that could not compete for Super Bowls in 2020 as long as Russell Wilson is in his prime. They need a little help on defense. They are looking for it elsewhere. And maybe it has even been floated, by the way, that the Seattle Seahawks could make an in- another push after the initial push for Jadavion Clowney now that they have more top-end talent to promote alongside him. But what, what, what strikes me as ridiculous is what Seattle gave up for a safety, not a quarterback, a, two first-round picks, much less the other draft capital that was exchanged, two first-round picks for a safety and a contract year, a guy that you're going to have to pay. That's quarterback bag. That's quarterback money. That's quarterback ransom. And Seattle stays doing things like this that just don't make sense unless you're operating in the same space as a team like the Los Angeles Rams a couple years ago when they push all their chips in. They sign Goff and Gurley up for long term. They go in and bring Indomitian Sue in. They sign Aaron Donald to a long-term extension They trade for Jalen Ramsey, and they say, take us to a Super Bowl, take us to the promised land, which they ultimately did accomplish and would have won, probably. Actually, I don't think there was a case to be made for them winning that Super Bowl. Goff looked completely out of sorts, and one decisive throw from Tom Brady to Rob Gronkowski that ultimately led to the Sony Michelle touchdown. I don't think that the Rams, in their current state or in their 
at that present time in Atlanta in that Super Bowl could have pulled that off. Regardless, it just doesn't make sense from a business perspective. And Seattle, I saw the argument be made on social media that they've botched several first-round picks. We don't know what the draft process is going to look like in the future given all the uncertainty with COVID, so why not just punt, trade him for a proven commodity, a guy who's making less than a million dollars this year in Jamal Adams, and then run the risk of paying him like your next Earl Thomas in future seasons. That doesn't make sense to me. Jamal Adams is not Earl Thomas. Jamal Adams is glorified Kenny Vaccaro. Kenny Vaccaro is a fine player. Kenny Vaccaro is also limited as a safety, limited in terms of range of motion, limited in terms of coverage ability. Kenny would not acknowledge this. I am not meaning this as a shot at Kenny Vaccaro. This is not how I expected this five good minutes to turn. But when it comes to trades in the NFL, it's not just about maximizing the opportunity that you have in front of you, although it is about that. And Seattle is trying to do that while they have Russell Wilson in their prime. It's about building for the future. It's about sustainable success. The Titans over the past five years have shown how to do that. The Jets, God knows what will happen with them. They consistently operate as a train wreck. And as long as Adam Gase is, I don't care who the GM, behind him calling the shots or picking the personnel might be, I just don't see a path out. Seattle, better chance, elite quarterback, a defense that's passable, and DK Metcalf looks to be a star. But don't just focus on the now. I don't understand why NFL Front office personnel operate this way. Let Les Sneed of the Los Angeles Rams serve as an example. It may be worth it in the short term, but in the long term, it can cost you your job. And that's five good minutes on this Tuesday here on the 615 Sessions podcast. Shouts to the variety of guests that we had today. Jonathan Hutton, Midday 180 on 104.5 The Zone. Steve Lehman of News Channel 5 there, one of their excellent sports anchors there. We had Mike Giardi of the NFL Network kind enough to give us some of his time at a time when, fortunately for all of us working in NFL media, things are beginning to ramp up. And Robbie Stanley, our dear friend from NHL.com, breaking down all things Preds with you here on today's show. Shouts to you guys who rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Five stars are always welcome in the comments section. By the way, we still do the iTunes review mailbag whenever it is that you guys want to leave questions, comments, or concerns for us in those reviews. You just leave them with five stars. We'd be happy to read them aloud on the air. If they involve ripping the tighten-up idiots who also exist in in this feed, I would be happy to do that. So send all of your shade along the way, whether that be for me or another host in this podcast feed, courtesy of five stars in the iTunes review. In the meantime, I need you guys to stay safe, stay clean, and stay hot, Nashville. This has been the 615 Sessions podcast, powered by Tennessee Tickets. Brought to you, as always, by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com.